You're listening to For the Record, a registrar podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm Heather Abbott, Deputy Registrar at Yale Law School, and this is How to Work Smarter. Hello, welcome to For the Record. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Doug McKenna, and today we're going to focus on productivity. Now, I recognize that productivity can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And in fact, it may mean something different to you at different stages of your career. Before we dive in, though, I want to provide a little bit of framing. I'm sure that you've heard about strategic planning, and maybe you've even had the good fortune to be involved in the development of your institution's strategic plan. Strategic planning is important, but today we're shifting our focus to strategic doing. Productivity is really about three things. It's about your motivation. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? It's about operating efficiently, making the most of the limited time resource that is available to us. And to that end, it's about choices. Strategic doing is about deciding what actions are going to have the greatest positive effect on whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. You can't do everything, so you have to be selective and thoughtful about the things to which you decide to give your energy. Some might even go so far as to say that you have to be strategic about it. it it's me. I say that. Okay. So of those three, we're going to totally skip over motivation for now. Maybe that'll be a future episode. But for the rest of this episode, we're going to chat with Heather Abbott from Yale Law School about methods, approaches, and tools that we can employ in our quest for efficiency and strategic doing. So we're talking with Heather Abbott Deputy Registrar at Yale Law School. Heather is a friend of mine. She is also the coordinator of the Reg 101 online. And I am the coordinator of Reg 101 in person, which is hilarious because since I've taken over that role, we have not held any in-person workshops. But as I was kicking around ideas for this podcast on productivity, I sent out an email to a bunch of people and asked if anyone knew of someone who studies productivity or does, you know, workshops or talks about it. And nobody had any really solid leads, except Heather started sending me things about, you know, once or twice a week, hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And then I had a eureka moment where I was like, oh, I don't need a professor or someone. I need to talk to Heather about productivity. And Part of it stems from, Heather, your accusation of me that I am doing email wrong. And so, Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us today. Let's get the email thing out of the way. When you said I'm doing email wrong, what did you mean? I think I made that comment after... I didn't get a response from you to something for several weeks, maybe several months. I don't, I don't remember. It was a couple of years ago. That's um, possible. And uh, a comment that you made about how many unread messages you had in your inbox um, at the time. 
So it was a combination of those two things, a lack of response and um, my perception that there was a lot of unreturned messages in your inbox. Right. That is actually true. And so you, I know, ascribe to this zero inbox notion. Or I aspire to it. I, I, to I, it, I don't yeah. always attain it by a long shot, but... Okay, so as a launching point for this discussion about ways to work smarter, or more efficiently, or be more productive, why don't you walk us through how uh, does that work? So inbox zero is the idea that that you have processed all of your email and that you have a completely empty inbox. I don't know many people that, that actually get to that point. And I think you can get to that a, a couple of different ways. One, you could have a personal assistant that handles all of your email, in which case you've just put all that email on someone else, or you are highly efficient at delegating and scheduling and responding to things. So this comes out of a combination of, of different methods. But, you know, one of the famous ones getting things done, David Allen has this, I guess, workflow, you would say, of if something comes into your inbox or your gathering point, that if it takes less than two minutes, you just do it. If it's something that can be delegated, you delegate it. If it's something that needs to be scheduled, then you put it on your calendar and then you're done with it. And I think he has a couple of other categories for things that um, are, you know, reference things that you might want to look at later or things that, that just you might need to think of in the future. And so it goes into what they call a tickler file that you look at every every quarter or so. And I've right. tried different versions of this. And so, again, it's it's an attempt but like anything, it, it requires patience and practice. Yeah. And the underlying thing there is to only touch an email once is the goal. Like you said, if you're if you open it and you can do it, do it. And if it's if someone else can do it, send it to that other person. Um, but not to, as I do, am guilty of, keep emails in your inbox and then refer back to them and refer back to them and refer back to them. So all right. So that is a great opening for this conversation. And I want to open it up for you more broadly to talk about methods that you employ, tools or apps or workflows, things like that. So if you were going to advise someone on ways to be more efficient or ways to be more productive, how would you go about doing that? I think one of the first things is to think about all the different places that things come to you. So how many email accounts do you have? How many, you know, voicemails do you have? And, you know, just go through the exercise of how do things come in? Do you have a physical inbox? Are you getting, you know, paper forms and try to reduce that to sort of as few things as possible. So you may want to keep some distinction between personal and, and work. And I think that's totally valid. And so, you know, you may end up having two calendars, but that's some tracking in both in both things. So thinking about the gathering points and trying to keep one to-do list as much as possible so that you have one place when you are out walking a dog or when you happen to think of something, gosh, I've really got to email so-and-so or I've really got to work on that project, um, you can write it down right then and then it's out of your brain. And you don't have to sort of think about it anymore because you've put it on your, your inbox, on your to-do list. And then 
at least once a week, you go through that inbox and, and you find time to schedule those things or you delegate them or you say, you know what, I'm really never going to get to this. And so you delete it. And I think you have to be a little bit ruthless about that sometimes. So there's a couple of different methods. You know, you can do this on paper. There's a lovely method called the bullet journal that I tried for a while. And there is an advantage to, to writing things down and doing them on paper. There's a lot of different apps out there for to-do options and even note-taking apps. So right now I'm using Todoist and Evernote. Todoist is sort of my main to-do list. You, know, you can access it on the phone and on the web. And one of the nice things about it is that it's really good for recurring things and for things that you need to do every three days or every seven days or on the first Mondays in October. And so if I'm <laughs> doing something, if I know that I need to do something, then I put it on there and I set up a recurring appointment so that or a recurring task so that I know I don't have to think about when am I going to do this next October because it's going to come up right then. The bullet journal, I think, is interesting because it has, you know, it has the same idea that you put down everything in your brain. You kind of do a brain dump and, and put down everything on your to-do list. And then if you don't get it done for that day, you have to copy it over to the next day, which, you know, I'm guilty of copying over tasks for like months and months. And then you have to look at it and say, <laughs> what is it about this that's that's causing this reaction. So what specifically am I reacting to about this? Is it that I don't know where to start? Is there a way that I can make it easier for myself to do? Or is it something where I just have to set a timer and sit down and make myself do it? Or is it something that after three months, I decide, you know what, it's really just not that much of a priority and delete it. So I use timers a lot. Some of that yeah, I was gonna, writing. Yeah, I was going to ask about that for, because you said set a timer. What does that look like? Like a little kitchen timer or what? So I use a, um, a Chrome extension that is called Strict Workflow. There's a lot of different Pomodoro timers out there. The Pomodoro method is the idea of doing short work bursts for a specific amount of time and then taking a break. And there's tons of research that shows that breaks, you know, revitalize you, they give you more energy. So you do... 25 minutes of work, you do a five minute break. And then if after four of those, you do, you do a longer break. That's great if you work in a field where you're working by yourself. It doesn't work as well if you work in an office environment where you have an open door policy or you get a lot of interruptions. You know, obviously it's not something you can do during a meeting. But if you do have a couple of hours where you need to focus on, you know, putting together a project or doing some type of writing, then setting a timer can be really important in maintaining focus and saying, okay, during this 25 minutes, I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to look at my email. I'm just going to focus on this one task. You can do it for things that, you know, if you finish that one task, you move on to the next one for 25 minutes, but it's a good uh, way to, I find it's a good way to get things done that I have been putting off for a long time. Right on. And I think, you know, procrastination, I had sort of an aha moment when I realized that procrastination was just another side of the coin of perfectionism. And so oftentimes it's just better to get something done than it is to do it perfectly. And that's something that I think a lot of us that have an attention to detail work on or struggle with to say it's a challenge. Yeah. You want to avoid making perfect the enemy of the good. Right. So, you know, a, a done dissertation is better than a perfect dissertation as the case may be. As, right. From personal knowledge. <laughs> I'm not, not done yet. I'm not, not done mine, yet. <laughs> you know, so on the to-do list, it can be helpful if you assign an amount of time. So if it's not something that you're putting on the calendar right then, then is this something that is going to take a half an hour? Is it going to, 
is it going to take an hour? I tried using my calendar as my to-do list for a while and it didn't, I just found it to be confusing because I do think that if you put something on your calendar, you should do it then. And so if you have a lot of task-like things that you just end up moving around on your calendar, it's not, it's not very helpful, but certainly in the current working conditions where we might have just a lot of Zoom meetings back to back, it can be helpful to block out time just to get some work done. So I don't work this way, but I have read about, and presumably there are people that do this, that you check your email at certain times of the day. So you check your email at 10 a.m. and you spend a half an hour on it or an hour on it, and then you don't check it again until 2 p.m. and you work on other things in between. That's not the culture where I am, but it might work for some people. Yeah, that is not the culture where I am either. I do work by blocking out times on my calendar, though, especially now sitting at home as a result of COVID, where everyone is working remotely and the meetings will literally go back to back to back to back to back unless you put some time on your calendar to say, I have a deliverable that needs to get worked on or I need a break or I need to spend a little bit of time and focus on something other than the Zoom meeting that's going on. I try not to do email during Zoom meetings, but that's sometimes not possible either. So, I think you also need to look at how long do meetings actually need to be. So there's a default in most calendars that they're an hour long. That's not actually true. Yeah, so it's too long. At That's least long. In, in some calendars, you know, I've set my default meeting time to be 50 minutes to give an extra 10 minutes to check my email or, or get ready for the next meeting. But there's a lot of meetings that could be half an hour. So I think, you know, fitting the amount of time to the task is another thing. Yeah. And a lot of meetings could be emails. And a lot of emails should be meetings. So you can actually turn an email into a meeting in Outlook, which I have done when there has been, you know, back and forth for too long. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's just easier to pick up the phone and have a few minute conversation. So finding the right medium for for the task is is another way to look at it. There's certain things that take a certain type of energy or a certain type of momentum that might be easier to accomplish at different times of the day. So if you know that you have the most energy in the morning, then pick the task that you want to do least then and get it done with. And then the momentum from getting that task done will give you the energy to move on to the next one. That's sort of known as swallowing the frog. Yeah. uh, Possibly attributed to Mark Twain, but we're not really sure. The other thing to think about that is, is when you have a meeting with someone that you know, or a a team or a group that you know is going to be really draining, can you put something on your calendar right after that that's going to give you energy? You know, is is there someone that you work with frequently that you can just schedule five or 10 minutes with that you know is going to give you sort of a boost of energy because you have a good time with them? Now that we're working at home, you could make sure to take some time to go outside or sort of finding one to three minute, maybe even five minute things that you can do to intersperse to kind of give yourself the momentum to, to tackle the next thing. Yeah. And that goes back to the idea that you need to work hard, but you need to be focused in order to be efficient as you're working and you lose focus as you get tired, as you get fatigued. And so taking breaks, taking opportunities to lighten your mood, to get up, walk around, stretch, drink some water, all of those things will actually assist your focus when you come back to whatever task it is that you're returning to. 
So speaking yeah. of physicality in the day, do you do planned stretch breaks or walk breaks or anything like that? I don't. You know, I think it was easier when we were in the office environment to get up to walk down the hall to get some water. That's not something that I'm that I'm great at. I'm definitely guilty of of sitting for too long. So there's a couple of other things that we sort of touched on, but one is there's a book called Designing Your Life, and they talk about this idea of energy in in a little bit of a different way of matching high engagement tasks or low engagement tasks with energy. So if you, you know, there's something that you just sort of don't really like to do, but it's part of your job and you've got to do it, you know, match that with, with something else, you, you know, not, not to put those tasks back to back and, and try to get them done. You know, you were asking about decisions earlier and I learned of it as the Eisenhower quadrant. I think it's Stephen Covey is also um, has it in in his time management platform. I don't know what to call it, but it's this idea that you know you have two different axes, and one is important and one is urgent, and so you end up with you know things that are urgent and important need to get done, and presumably you're doing that. You're meeting the crises. You you have last minute deadlines and things like that, and then you have things that are not important but are urgent. So that might be an interruption or a meeting. You sort of have to do it, but it doesn't, it's not really the best use of your time. There's things that are not urgent and are not important, which is just distractions, for lack of a better word. But the trick is finding time for the things that are important, but not urgent. And that's sort of longer term projects, things that, you know, strategic planning to talk about that. Maybe it's networking, things like that, that I think in the constant age of like email and attention, and this is urgent now, I need this now, it's harder to find the time to schedule time for yourself for something that is not urgent, but is still important in the long run, which is why the more that you can automate for yourself, the better. So if there's something that you do frequently, then make it just a recurring meeting or a recurring reminder in to-do list. If there's something that you do every, setting up the start of the term, for example, and then we can get into operations calendars. But, you know, I'm a big fan of checklists and Atul Gawande's checklist manifesto. So yeah, right. If you can prevent yourself from forgetting something that's going to take up time later, you know, what is it? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. cure. Yeah. So how can you make things better for your future self? How can you save yourself time in the future? And some of that is just documenting. Some of that is setting up reminders for the future. Yeah. And let's apply this specifically to registrar's offices at this point where we do similar tasks. I don't want to say the same task over and over and over again on a cyclical basis. So whether it's a semester or the quarter or once an academic year, we generally do the same thing, similar thing time and time again. I have found at the many varied institutions where I have worked that there are different levels of quality in the documentation of the production calendar and different levels of specificity, different levels of instruction. And I think to your point where if you can help your future self not forget to do something, so this is the week of the semester that we send out the notices to so-and-so about such-and-such, next time that week of the semester comes around, you don't have to think about it. It you get a reminder or you see it as a recurring event on the schedule. And so 
that's one thing that I would drive everybody to do is to review your production calendar. And if you don't have a production calendar, it's pretty easy to create one, easy in air quotes. You just write down everything that you do and when you do it. And then the next time through, you review back to that and say, oh, all right, this was the second week of the semester. These are the things that I did. And then you make sure that those things get done. Obviously, there's a lot more sophistication involved in some of the documentation and some of the ways that you can build those out and set up reminders and work in a variety of environments, Microsoft Teams or in Salesforce or whatever, in order to trigger some of those activities. But if you don't have a production calendar, you need one. There are too many things that we do that are only done once a semester that it's relatively easy to forget. So, And it doesn't have to be in a project management software. When I start, I think almost every job that I've started, I've started just keeping track of what did I do the first week? What did I do the second week? And you can add, it doesn't have to be elaborate. You could, you know, it could be a bullet point with a brief, a brief sentence, but it's also a good place to if you're in a, new, in a new position to write down questions, like why is this being done this way? And then when you go through the next year and you revisit that, you may find that you have answers to some of those questions or you, you may still have those, those same questions. But again, it can be as simple as a Word document. Yeah, the ability to collaborate in so many of the platforms now is really tremendous in so many ways and for so many reasons, but enabling multiple people on your team to work in the same document is also really helpful so that it's not just you writing down what you're doing, but if you've got your entire team documenting all in one place, that makes it a lot better too. It does. We've been using Confluence for documentation, which integrates with Jira and a couple of other Atlassian products. We're also using Basecamp, which is another project management system for some other projects. Uh, we're also using Teams. There's also an Outlook calendar. I use Calendly to schedule meetings with students. We have Salesforce. I use Sifter for bug tracking, for Registrar <laughs> One stuff. I've been using Airtable, which is a great content management tool that's free. For some other projects, I've been using Team Gantt, which is Gantt charts. I mean, you yep. do run the risk of a sort of many things, you know, not having things centrally stored and especially if you're collaborating that it's important that people know where to go to get things so i am certainly guilty of of you know ooh, shiny new app i want to try it but i think there's also value in experimenting and seeing what works because each is going to work differently you know i tried trello and asana for a while for for my task lists and projects and like neither really stuck for some reason um it just wasn't the way that my brain thought and i've i've stuck with todoist for for longer, perhaps because it gives you karma. And so the more tasks you complete, you get more karma points. And then you, I'm working towards enlightened. I think I'm grandmaster now. <laughs> enlightened. Um, but there's, but there's, you know, there's some gamification to this, right? So there's, there's a, um, there's an app, I think, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, um, it, you help build a forest, right? So the longer, the more p Pomodoro, focused sessions you write, you you grow a little tree and then you you add to the forest, right? So there's some benefit to this. You know, if you are really into role-playing games, there's Habatica. I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but it's, you know, you build habits sort of in a role-playing game environment. So there's there's ways to make it more 
fun, I guess is the way to say it, but sure. you also have to figure out what's going to work for you. So don't yeah. be, don't be afraid to abandon apps if they're not working for you. And that was one thing that I wanted to say as well is that productivity tools, there are so many different kinds because so many people respond differently to different things and approach work in different ways. And it's really about experimenting, exploring, finding out what's out there, and then trying some things out. And like you just said, don't be afraid to bail on something if it's not working for you. It shouldn't be a pain to find a way for you to engage in a more focused way, in a way that helps you feel like you are being more productive. So, But that is funny. You can grow a forest. I love it. Also, the show notes page for this episode is just going to be like a huge list of books and apps. That's... <laughs> it is. Yeah. Which is great because... Some of the resources that you sent to me, just, hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Were new to me. And I feel like I'm more than an average bear aware of some of the stuff that's out there. And so even for me to be like, oh, never heard of that. That's cool. That's still fun. So it nice. is. You know, I think with the, with the Getty things done, you know, the tracking apps are great as long as you set aside the time to actually review what you've been doing. And so the other piece of advice that I frequently give is to put a recurring calendar at the end of the week, usually on Fridays, but it doesn't have to be, to plan the upcoming week. And look at the upcoming week, look at the meetings that you have scheduled. Are there anything that you need to prepare for? Are the agendas done for them? Do you owe anyone anything? what do people owe you? And then look at what you need to to do and actually put that on the calendar for next week. And I think just taking that time to reflect and get things on the calendar and scheduled is that pause that you need to, to be more efficient in the week ahead. It's awesome. Yeah, the review at the end of the week and then calendar out what is coming up either for the week or the coming weeks, plural, has been one of those suggestions that I have attempted at various times with various levels of success. And it's very similar to the advice that you provided about looking at a course syllabus and identifying all of the due dates and all of the readings and all of the everything and putting those on the calendar and making sure that you knew you, the hypothetical you, knew when everything was due and what you were supposed to be reading at what times. Yeah, I think the other thing that we've been trying to uh, focus more on in our workplace is creating agendas for meetings. And oh, yeah, if there's not an agenda, there is not a meeting. If it's your meeting, you owe people an agenda. You can't spring the agenda on them at the meeting because then they don't have time to prepare for anything. So make your meetings productive, send out the agenda in advance, send out materials in advance. But yeah, if there's not an agenda, there is not a meeting. Office 365 has started giving me little in weekly insights. And I, I think I've found how to turn them off going forward. That's another tip, just unsubscribe from everything that, that you don't need to be subscribed to within within reason, of course, within the work within the workplace. But one of the insights was that I was scheduling meetings to 
soon so that if I scheduled a meeting for the next day, that didn't give people enough time to to prepare. I think this was when we first switched to work from home and it was sort of trying to figure out what we were doing and replacing those quick phone calls with meetings. But I, di- I did take that as I should give people more advance notice for scheduling a meeting. So don't just put something on someone's calendar, you know, the next availability that they have, unless you've, you've spoken to them about it. Right on. And after action reviews, I used to call them postmortems. I've learned yeah. now that you were supposed to call them after action reviews. So if there is something that you do in your office every quarter or, you know, you finish a registration cycle or something like that, if you can set up a meeting right then while it's fresh in your mind to go over what things went well and what can be improved, then uh, you don't have to spend time recollecting that when you're getting ready to gear up for the next cycle. All right. Anything fun, exciting, or adventurous that we've missed? Well, there's probably lots. Yeah, this is an introduction overview to working smarter, being more productive, being more efficient, being more focused. There are plenty of resources available on the show notes page for further exploration or experimentation. And I would encourage people to visit the show notes page and to look at some of the apps, try some things out for themselves. There's a book that's related to getting things done. What other books would you recommend if people are interested? Um, Certainly uh, Charles Duhigg's two books, The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better. He has some great insights in those and has a lot of supporting documentation too. There's a lot of really terrible books about productivity out there that I've had the misfortune of reading. Um, (laughs) I think you need to figure out what, what, type of thing works for you. So there's some that are more focused on sort of home. You know, Gretchen Rubin has her sort of happier at home thing that she does. One of the interesting things that she talks about is finding your motivation style, whether you are someone who works better when you have someone to be accountable to, or if you have something on the line, you know, there's some external motivation that that is, is driving you. So you can use that to do some of those things that, that you don't really uh, want to do. A couple of good podcasts out there about this type of stuff. One of my favorite is Hurry Slowly uh, with Jocelyn K. Gly. She has a lot of good tips on um, sort of using tech in a thoughtful way. The other one that's also interesting is Note to Self, which is out of, uh, I think, New York City Public Radio. And they had a couple of interesting episodes on the privacy paradox and also info magical, talking about sort of the ways that you can use technology in a way that is going to work for you and not let technology use you. And nice. of course, the checklist manifesto, um, Atul Gawande. Yes. So Heather, thank you for joining us today and for sharing some insight and some of your experience with productivity tools working more efficiently, working smarter. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And I hope that you, the listener, have enjoyed and uh, will take some of Heather's suggestions to heart. And Heather, is it okay if I put your contact information on the show notes page as well, if anybody wants to reach out? Yes. And and I would say I, I still have a lot to learn. So I am not the expert on this by any means. You are more expert than I have been. So I appreciate you sharing your experience and I will include your contact information on the show notes page. 
Thank you. Thanks again to Heather Abbott for sharing her insight and experiences with being more focused, making effective use of time, and generally being more efficient. The show notes page for this episode is chock full of resources, so please do check it out. And remember to experiment with different approaches, as this isn't a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing. It may take some trial and error to find the best productivity approach for you. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend, share it with a colleague, or share a link on your social media. If you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear about, send me an email at registrarpodcast at gmail.com. I know I'm not the best emailer, but with some of the tools from this episode, I'll work on getting better. I appreciate you listening. A couple more things. Black Lives Matter. Diversity is a strength. Make a commitment to vote. Reach out to your friends and family and make sure they are doing the same. Until next time, I'm Doug McKenna, and this is For the Record.